was just thinking how amusing it would be to one day just sort of mention a different topic in the introduction. To See throw me can... off? Yeah, 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 pretty much. I could, I could do it. Probably. Probably. Yeah, probably, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think I'd come up with anything sort of worthwhile, but that hasn't stopped me before. Are you going to bark all day? This is a tasty burger. I am just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny! You are a sad, strange little man. These guys were that. Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben and Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises and film nonsense. This week is a one-shot episode in which we pick a topic and choose a standalone film to discuss with full spoilers, which isn't connected to a sequel, spin-off or prequel, and hope that the other hasn't picked it and we've chosen wisely yet uniquely. This week, the random popcorn maker of film topics has given us a listener suggestion from Rose of film composers. So we are doing Hans Zimmer. Mm, yes, well, thank you, Rose. Um, yeah, Hans Zimmer, why not? Born in 1957 in Germany, he's composed over, I've seen somewhere over 120, somewhere over 150, which is over 120 uh, films, winning an Oscar for the, for the Lion King soundtrack in 1995. Franchises he's scored include the Dark Knight trilogy, Pirates Caribbean, uh, and more, more, most recently, No Time to Die. He also did the theme song for the UK lunchtime quiz show, Going for Gold. I must admit, with this one, I was concerned because I'm not, I've said before, I'm not the biggest music guy. So I don't have like the technical terms for things. I'm just, I tend to have pleb tier taste. So I think you're going to embarrass me on this one because you're going to be able to say things about certain things and I'm going to go, the, the music does the thing. Well, I think I, I, I don't know. I'm not like an expert or anything, but I do tend to like soundtracks, both like, um, you know, like a film, you know, like Pulp Fiction or Forrest Gump, where it's got lots of songs that are good. Mm. Um, or, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy films like that. But then I also like it where there is a score. And I, th- I like that from, I think, relatively early on. The first soundtrack I bought was um, Jan Tears and Soundtrack to Amelie, um, which is a great soundtrack and a great film. And since then, I have sort of got quite a few others, but uh, which you which you know you can listen to as albums in their own right. Mm. And I think in a previous podcast, I said the second one I got was the one to Twenty Eight Days Later, but it wasn't. I realised the other day the second soundtrack I got was uh, the Two Towers by Howard Shaw. Ah, well, there you go, podcast fans. There we go. Just update the Rob Wiki. The second album he got was. Two Towers. Second film not, soundtrack album, not second album. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Right, yeah, make sure. That's, Jesus. It's like arguing with a computer sometimes. A computer with an amazing film score collection. Oh, actually, that's most computers now. It's part of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, how are we going to do this? You can, you can go first. Shall I give you my one and only fact about Hans Zimmer? Is it that you did the theme song for Gown for Gold? No. Okay. His surname means room in German. <laughs> Hans room. Hans room. Yeah, that's it. Okay. That's all I got. Um, okay, well, I'm... The way, the way that we discussed this before is that we're just using the composer to get into talking about the movie, right? Okay. Are we? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I figured that was, that was probably the thing because, dear God, I can't fill up 
an hour with what I've got to say about the soundtrack for this one. That's unlike you. Usually you're like a one man just a minute. Is that a compliment? Just a minute. It's a good long running program. Mm. So I was going to go for a bit of a, a, a film geek strokey chin kind of thing. So um, Driving Miss Daisy was one that I kind of thought because that was, that was uh, a breakthrough score for him. I genuinely think, I could be wrong, but I think some of his best work has been for franchises. Yes, yeah. Like it, the Dark Knight, the stuff in the Dark Knight is amazing. Yeah, like, and I like, Caribbean, the... I, I like the iterations that sort of happen over the, the soundtrack thing as well. So, you know, they always have the, the sort of main themes, but the new elements that are brought in, I like hearing that stuff. And and the Dark Knight trilogy is a perfect example. I think for, for me, yeah, Dark Knight Rises is the strongest of the three because it probably is that culmination of the three, uh, of, of the three mm. films and, and the way the sounds just keep building and building. Yeah. Uh, but Paris so, Caribbean is great as well. Oh, you know, it is. It, it you know, really despite is. The, despite the flaws, the sequels have some fantastic uh, songs or ch- tunes throughout. Pieces. They do. They really do. And uh, and so that's it. And I, I've I've been critical of Hans Zimmer in the past. I enjoyed uh, no, the No Time to Die soundtrack, I, but a lot of it did feel, as, as said in the uh, the episode, that some of it did feel quite close to Dark Knight Rises, almost like it's rehashing it. Mm. Um, well, um, recently I loved his work on Dune. Yes, yeah. I I would have picked Dune had I had I have the opportunity to sort of see it again and sort of really absorb everything. Like Dune would be up there because he does some really really interesting stuff. Yeah, I think he said they sort of like made loads of like crazy new synths for, for it as well that you know, didn't exist before. We saw bagpipes and everything in the film. Yeah. I'm, I assume bagpipes the on the soundtrack. Yes. It really is, but you know, including sorry to that Scottish listeners. So, I didn't. I didn't. Just sorry, just sorry, for the one shot you would have gone for June part one because it's it's the only film out at the moment. Yeah, probably. I know, okay. but I didn't. Let's just pretend it was because I was because it was a franchise. It's just called Dune. It says part, part one, one on the film. It says Dune. The sound like that is, is good though. Yes, it is. And I'm looking forward to what he does in the sequel. <laughs> so I, I, I think there were there are some worthier choices. Gladiator is definitely one. Interstellar hmm. is one. Inception. But I thought, fuck all that. I've gone for The Rock. Oh, nice. <laughs> now, I've mentioned The Rock before as one of my favorite movies possibly ever. It's it's a great, great action movie. And Hans Zimmer did the music with two other composers, Nick Glennie Smith and Harry Gregson Williams. He was the only one without a double-barreled surname. Um, and yeah, it's weird because it's actually quite a short soundtrack. And it has three main themes uh, that it kind of keeps coming back to. But what I love about it, if, if in case you don't know the film I'm talking about, it's 1996's The Rock, directed by Michael Bay, starring Sean Connery, Nicolas Cage, Ed Harris. Uh, General takes a bunch of hostages on Alcatraz and threatens the city of San Francisco. John Spencer's in it, isn't he? Uh, what now? John Spencer's in it. Yes. Yes, he's really good as well. 
so sorry I, I interrupted you then when you were going through the description sorry well no i mean i do it to you all the time the point being with all of this is that the music perfectly complements the movie because the movie is just the right side of corny it's it's like the epitome of mid 90s action and uh it has yeah as i said like kind of three main themes really the one is uh is like a slow tragic military thing often used for hummel ed ed harris's character and that's used for some tragic stuff uh, that's that's the kind of there and but it it's it's kind of mournful but then the electric guitars come into it like it, it honestly it's really hard to explain but there's something there's something great about it, it it's it's almost it's it's so over the top and it works for the rock because the rock is over the top um and then you have sort of like a fast paced uh track which is kind of actually sounds a lot like his pirates of the caribbean stuff but before pirates of the caribbean yeah so it's got the uh it's it's in the same ballpark as as pirates and then you have a theme which i think is a flute definitely woodwind for sean connery's character mason his daughter so and, and that's that it sounds very much like uh a you know the sort of hobbiton theme they have in lord of the rings this sort of you know happy flutes and yeah. all that yes it sounds yeah, like that it sounds funky, like that yeah and sunday afternoon village type <laughs> yeah exactly and it, it's it's so cheesy and corny but it works and i think a lot of the a lot of the sort of big bombastic kind of things the heavy use of synths percussive kind of things it's all very hans zimmer i yeah i could have gone for more interesting ones but because the rock is such a favorite film of mine i i have these these three themes cuz i mean i i think they do they obviously have names on the soundtrack but they bleed into each other so often the sort of tragic military one is is called Hummel gets the rockets and then you got jade which tends to be that's that's the the the, the gentle one and then the rest rockhouse jail is the the, the sort of uh the fast one that could be parts of the caribbean and there's a lot of filler <laughs> despite there being like eight tracks on this soundtrack there's yeah. a lot of filler <laughs> but i i had to go i had to listen to to what what was important to me what was and and this i i these themes are part of my brain and so i decided that yeah that's it and and as i said because the rock as as a thing because you haven't seen it have you yeah i've seen the rock yeah oh you have seen the rock okay fine i thought you hadn't years and years and years ago okay and do you like it yeah i remember enjoying it it's one i do mean to rewatch, but no it was good yeah and you know, there's an idea that sean connery's character is meant to be like james bond because he's yes. sort of neither american or british and you know Yes, he's uh, he's he's imprisoned without trial because of a thing he stole from J. Edgar Hoover. There's something there's something that absolutely works about 
the rock and maybe it's because it takes itself quite seriously in some ways but maybe it's because the dynamic between Sean Connery and, and Nicolas Cage is so good. Ed Harris is playing Hummel to the hilt. He's a sympathetic bad guy in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's got quite a just cause, really, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, his his whole thing, for people who haven't seen the movie, his whole thing is that he he's a decorated war hero. He has so many like medals and everything. He is like just the epitome of a military man who's 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 sweated and bled for he's his a very modern model, model of the modern major general <laughs> yes he is <laughs> so so you know and he he just finally has enough of the sort of red tape and the lies he he led a lot of sort of black ops missions and a lot of men died under his command and the the whole thing is that their families were given some sort of bullshit hand wave thing and these these people weren't even give, given military burials. They were just abandoned by their country. So he decides that he's going to take it on himself and he's going to hold some tourists who happen to be on Alcatraz and the city of San Francisco hostage uh, until the government pay up so he can he can kind of pay the family's sort of reparations and and everything like that. So it is a just cause to uh, for in, in a lot of ways. And as the film goes on, you find that actually it was more of a bluff than anything else. And and it's the people that he's he's hired, the the military people that he's hired to help carry out his plan who are the real problem. The the script is genuinely interesting because it it has like I like Conair and things like that. Conair is probably the best sort of uh, comparison, but the script of The Rock is unlike most of most films of its ilk. Like it's witty, genuinely witty at times, and a lot, a lot of the thing. There, there were tons of people that did work on this script, like uh, Jonathan Hensley did some, Quentin Tarantino. Did some on uh, you know? It, I mean, he's not credited; he's uncredited. Yeah. But he did he did some tidying up work. Aaron Sorkin did a bunch of sort of script work on it. Like th- this script was around for ages, and apparently th- this it's because of this kind of script that there are tighter rules on on how many writers can be on a certain thing, and and you oh, know yes. they all they all have fingerprints on it somewhere. So despite it being this kind of thing that it works it really works and it yeah as i said genuinely funny um i think mason is one of sean connery's best characters one of his best performances and it does sort of rely on the whole him being james bond thing there's there's one bit that i always think of where hummel has captured mason and he has him down he's got the gun pointed at him and Mason is, is trying to trying to get to the, the, the kind of the point of why Hummel is doing this. Why this? Why not try other things? And um, and Hummel says the tree of liberty must be watered from time to time with the blood of patriots. Thomas Jefferson. And Mason says patriotism is the virtue of the vicious. Oscar Wilde. And then he gets hit and says, thank you for proving my point. <laughs> so. I've always loved that exchange because I know you can always quote 
you know historical figures and great writers and whatever and 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 you know and have that sort of pretentious kind of air but there's something about the rock that makes it work and uh and there are there are quite a few things like that where you're just like this is this is you know above your normal action kind of thing and you know directed by michael bay it, it was yeah, the reason yeah. for many years that i defended michael bay because he was capable of good stuff yeah it's probably one of, well, one of his best if not his best film yeah but he's more machine now than man twisted and evil but you know and and there's there's something unique about the movie and the fact that this was added to the criterion collection now i i don't know if you at home know the criterion collection but it was this sort of elite highfalutin kind of thing where mostly art movies or definitely worthy movies would be put on dvd with a bunch of special features and given the sort of lavish treatment and whatever and nice it, artwork. yeah exactly and and then the rock got added and people like it's a michael bay movie there's no way it belongs here roger ebert did an essay defending the choice of the rock for the criterion collection and uh and and even then i still Still, I mean, I I think I do see it in a lot of conversations about action, but there's something there's something that sets it apart from the others. It's smarter than Con Air, you know. It's kind of despite it coming out around the same time as the first Bad Boys, you know, because that's obviously the, probably the better uh, Michael Bay kind of analog. It's leagues ahead of that. Yeah, there's something that is so so good about it and it's and i think the soundtrack genuinely is is a major part of it it may be one of the only soundtracks i still have on cd hooray physical media i've i've got a couple of soundtrack albums still on cd and uh the rock is one of them because you know i loved the film at the time and just oh, i don't need that and what what interested me is that i I was trying to find reviews of the soundtrack because I thought, you know, Hans Zimmer, he's an incredibly prolific composer, probably one of the most famous composers going. There's bound to be maybe people have gone back and kind of looked at his earlier work and, and saying, like, how is it kind of gone? I couldn't really find any reviews for the rock soundtrack except a review from All Music. And they said, composed in tandem with Media Ventures partners, including Nick Lenny Smith and Harry Gregson Williams, Hansom is the Rock typifies the bigger is better film scoring sensibilities that defined Hollywood in the mid 90s. With its bombastic electronics, relentless bass, and blast furnace eruptions of dis dissonance, the music is an overwhelming sensory experience and vir virtually impossible to absorb over the course of a single sitting. Too many cooks spoil the broth here, with so many contrasting compositional approaches in the mix. The music is a disjointed mess. And thematic unity is nothing more than an afterthought. You thought breaking out of Alcatraz was difficult? Try listening to this tripe. So, I think that I think that says it all. <laughs> I I have plebed here taste, but uh, you know it's easy it's easy to be sniffy about certain things, and especially especially you know you could argue that people aren't there to listen to the soundtrack of an action movie, but. I think I think The Rock genuinely has a strong one, and I I think it it's sort of it's typical Hans Zimmer, and features kind of a lot of the stuff that he he would become 
lauded for later on in his career. So, you know, so so that's it. That's that's a basic overview. I want people to see The Rock. I'm sure they have, but if you haven't, please see The Rock. It's great. It, it's it's a great such a fun time. As well. What's the tagline? Alcatraz. Only one man has ever broken out. Now five million lives depend on two men breaking in. Hell yeah. Yeah, doesn't that get you pumped up? Or not? So so that's it. I as as I said, I found it I found it weird to kind of approach it from this point of view rather than going from the story or whatever. But I I think I think the music elevates it and because it is that sort of over the top, bombastic, you know, military drums and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it works. It's great. So uh and also Nick Cage uh is a Beatle maniac in uh in this as well. I think at his request. Apparently so, yeah. So uh and you have the the rock roaches. Remember when you yeah. kept interrupting me with the rock roaches? You have that yeah. whole thing. So so yeah, I will talk about the rock again because I've decided that uh that's with one shots I am going to cover the same movie sometimes from different angles. Oh okay. Yeah, I've just decided that right yeah, now. Cuz I well I want to give it a proper kind of like look at the story and and more of the characters and everything, but as I said, I think the music's genuinely important to it. Of course it is. If you watched it on mute it would be shit. Yeah, what am I talking about? That's all I can say about about my choice. Now, here comes you going to blow my shit to your opinion out of the water, aren't you? You're absolutely not really building me. me up at all, like an unnecessary hype man. It's interesting you say about um, revisiting previous one shots because I would have, had I not already covered it, I would have gone for The Last Samurai because I did the soundtrack to that. The soundtrack I, to did, I did think that you might go for that. No, because I've already done it. Yeah, but we can go back to it and talk about it, as long as we've got different things to say. Well, you think you absolutely crushed the yeah. last samurai last day? <laughs> I, I shut the I shut the book of it. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I have said I everything that needs to be yeah. said about the last samurai. <laughs> you know, the runaway hair. Yeah, there's nothing. <laughs> nothing else needs to be said. <laughs> but the soundtrack of it is brilliant. I think it, bits from it um, crop up on Scarlet from time to time. Because um, yeah, it's a great soundtrack. Mm. It is. It really is. Another one that I was tempted to do, but only for one track, was the Lone Ranger. He's done a lot of films. He has. I, I was, was listening. Sorry. What? Yeah. Don't fucking interrupt. Every time. Every time now. He's getting above sticks. That's what they say. Bees are getting above sticks. Peas. Oh, right, yeah. You said that before. What, and I think I quoted what are you, time. deaf as well as rude? <laughs> I was listening to the Kim on Film uh, podcast did, last Did week. it sound like I'd finished what I was saying? Yeah. Well, it. I hadn't. What I was going to say, have you seen The Lone Ranger? No. Oh, fucking point of view. Then. What I was saying is that there, there is a moment in that at the end he does a rework of the William Tell overture and oh god does it work you know the William Tell overture sing it for me 
No. I knew the Williams had overture. I knew you did, but you just like getting me to perform. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was gonna actually genuinely hum some of the themes from the rock, but I thought I need to not do that. But I will come back to the Lone Ranger at some point. That's a warning. So stay tuned, I, tree fans. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rob. Yeah, so I was listening to the Ken Radon Film Podcast this week, and they're talking about No Time to Die, which incidentally, we had an interesting podcast about No Time to Die from a few weeks ago. Um, did we? We did. Wow, people should check that out. And uh, he was talking about the soundtrack, and he was saying that he feels that Hans Zimmer's next best course of action would be to just score a rom-com because he's doing all these really big epic soundtracks and there must be like loads of pretty pretty much loads of pressure on it not not pressure but there's like a lot of expectation about hands in a soundtrack but actually looking at it he scored things like boss baby the boss baby was was the one that surprised me as well when i looked at i was like really so i think he's done like a fair amount of like sort of i guess you know worthy Oscar contenders and less worthy filler films. And he's done some computer games with Lorne Balfe. Lorne Balfe did the, uh, does the soundtrack to the Dark Materials TV series, which is has a great soundtrack. He also but did they, uh, the Mission Impossible soundtracks. Yes, yeah. Um, but they, together they've done Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 2, Beyond Two Souls, and FIFA 2019. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... I think that's that's the thing, though. If you kind of want generic military kind of stuff, because I mean, I've played, I well, I've certainly played. What was it, Modern Warfare Two? Yeah, yeah. I I couldn't tell you the theme from that. And normally you hear it a lot because you know it's like you're playing the multiplayer and everything, so you you get to know the lobby music, like uh, like you wouldn't believe. But I I couldn't tell you what that goes. It probably warfare, more warfare, time for some warfare. Shoot the man with guns. You gonna cut that bit? No. Okay. Just a suggestion. <laughs> I'm I'm out of my element here, so I'm I'm just swinging wildly. <laughs> I'm not like an expert or anything. No, I know, but you're more comfortable talking. I can just appreciate a good soundtrack. I think that's it. You're more comfortable with doing that, whereas I I just know what I like and know what I don't. And I don't have the, the necessary kind of, you know, like, okay, when you're driving a car, you don't need to be a mechanic to know that it's not working right. But you need to you need to be a mechanic to know how to fix it. Right. That's kind of how I see the whole music thing is and like I know when it's not working for me, but I wouldn't know what to do to fix it. Okay. Th does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. There's a nice quote from Parks and Rec about um film soundtracks that where Ben White says it's like the director's made you a mixtape personally. Yeah, I mean that's taken to the nth degree with someone like James Gunn. Yes. So yeah. Yeah, it is. So, Rob, you're yes. going to drop the boot then. What? Stop building me up. 
Rob, in your everybody, input, everybody wisdom, lower your expectations. That okay. could be this, this slogan for this podcast. Perhaps <laughs> <laughs> I'll just start each episode that. Okay, so I have gone for a Christopher Nolan film. I wondered if you go for Christopher Nolan film as well. I was tempted. Um, I've gone for his. It confused some people because of the, the linear time structure, his time twisting Dunkirk of 2017. Oh, shit. I see what you did there. A little swerve at the end. I know. I like it. Thanks. Um, written and directed by Christopher Nolan, starring Fionn Whitehead, Tom Glyn Carney, Jack Loudon, Harry Styles, Inira Bernard, Barry Keane, Kenneth Branagh, Killian Murphy, Mark Rylance, and Tom Hardy. Um, Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Commonwealth and Empire and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. Yep. Yep. That about sums it up. I can't remember who did the music for it. That was Harry Styles. That's why he was in the movie. Watching, I remember watching it for the first time because the cast are all pretty much unknowns. Uh, certainly all the infantry soldiers are all unknowns, uh, largely mm. unknowns. That was apparently because of... Uh, because of the fact that all the people in the draft would have been young and inexperienced, so Christopher Nolan didn't want to distract by having big name stars. I didn't know which one Harry Styles was because it turns out I don't know who I didn't know who Harry Styles was. <laughs> so every time there's new infantry, I was like, "Is this Harry Styles? Is he Harry Styles?" I actually think he's a pretty decent actor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he won. He auditioned against hundreds of people for the role, so yeah, yeah. And Christopher Nolan apparently didn't know who he was. I didn't know that he'd been in One Direction. He just thought he was an actor. So, yes. Yeah, so what have you got to say about Dunkirk? It's about the evacuation of Dunkirk, where there's thousands of people trapped on a beach in France needing to get back to Britain. And it is told in three time frames. Uh, the first one is The Mole, which is the people on the beach, which is set over the course of a week. The second one is Mark Rylance's Boat, which is there. <laughs> is that the chapter's title? Yeah. It's, it's a, I think, a day or two. No day, and the third one is Spitfires flying over the uh, sort of the, the English Channel, which is an hour because that's the amount of fuel the Spitfire would hold. Mm. Nolan uh, likes his sort of accuracy, doesn't he? Yeah, um, and I read some of that. That's why the logo for the uh, for Dunkirk is split into three colours for land, sea, and air, and it's also oh. it's the army, the navy, and the air force all working together but it was a way of having uh, it, it, it's shot in that structure so you can sort of have the three storylines climaxing at the same point but it's been split so obviously one is moving more. in some ways it's, it's similar to the dreams within dreams of the inception and some bits are moving slower than others but mm. it all, it, it's all happening at the same period and there are bits that sort of overlap like the spitfires fly over uh, Mark Rollins' boat and you later on see like sort of where they're going or what and yeah or where, why there's a downvote later on and stuff. So it does reward the multiple watching. Which is weird, because I've only seen it the once. Okay. So I can remember certain things. There was a war in it, yeah? There was, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's good. And Tom Hardy f- flies a plane. With a mask. You know, his, his second Christopher Nolan film, which, he, which most of his face is obscured. Yeah. But Michael Caine plays the... Uh, the uh, well... He's sort of leader who's just a voice on the radio, sort of being one of the one of his Chris Nolan roles. Yes. Well, well, the thing is, I think Michael having Michael Caine in your cast just kind of automatically adds some weight to it, doesn't it? It's just oh, Michael Caine's in it, brilliant. 
Well, he's in ten, a tenet playing somebody called Sir Michael, and at the end, the last line to him is by Sir Michael. So look, people took that as uh, a sign that he's retired because he's been in every Nolan film since Batman Begins, I think. I wouldn't be shocked if he turns up in that Oppenheimer thing. Yeah. That seems like the sort of thing that they could wheel him out for. But, you know. So, what does Hans Zimmer add to it, then? Well, he has said that it was basically a co-production or co-score with him and Christopher Nolan because he wanted the music to merge with the image so that nothing distracts you from the image on the screen. And when he initially wanted to make one score that lasted the entire length of the film. Wow. It would have been sort of, uh, yeah, an hour and 40 minutes or so. Because it's a relatively short film, certainly for a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah. Um, but they found, so that was the initial plan. And I think he made a demo of it, of, of like about 100 minutes. Yeah, an hour and 40 minutes, sorry. Um, but they found that it was impossible to cut around because whenever you cut, the film. Oh yeah, to cut the music out. You couldn't stitch it together. So yeah. instead, they opted for um, using a tick. Uh, they recorded one of which intrigued me. One of Christopher Nolan's pocket watches. Uh, the ticking from that to sort of to go throughout the film. So even if the music isn't happening, there's a ticking which is kind of connecting wow. all the scenes together. That does uh, that doesn't shock me that Christopher Nolan not only has a pocket watch but multiple yes, pocket watches. Yeah, that 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 is the most Christopher Nolan thing. Again, on on a uh, Kim Odom film podcast, um, Kim Odom Jack Howard was saying that about about Dunkirk and, and June that it's less a soundtrack, more a soundscape. Mm. I'd possibly say. I mean, I didn't go for um, Inception. I, I did wonder if you might have actually, because that is a. I think if you think of an, a Nolan film, particularly one that's not a sequel, that is that is uh, that is. is, is Hans Zimmer at his most Zimmeriest, with all the bwams and that sort of that, that massive building driving thing. Yeah, and it does have. I mean, the fact that it's non genre Greta Rien slowed down. Yes, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. And, and that's that's all very clever stuff. But again, I only had the sort of one track, which was time. The rest of it kind of sort of eluded me. Whereas with the rock, I had okay. three. <laughs> so so that's why it was. So it was either the one sort of like main theme or the three and uh okay. and i went with the oh, I, I could pick up quite a few from inception i haven't seen it for quite a while actually okay. i should maybe watch it again but uh no it's it's a great soundtrack i mean it you know it it's and it it certainly had a huge influence on yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. on on lots of things but um but yeah it, it's and and interstellar was another one i think that's yeah some of the some of the work he does in that is Truly incredible. But again, I don't feel qualified to talk about that. So I talked about the dumb action movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did think about going for uh, for Inception. I mean, running the risk of, of, of you choosing as well, because I think it is stereotypical, you know, you know classical hands ever. Mm. But I find Dunkirk, um, the soundtrack, really interesting. They make use of... So the big thing about it is they make use of the shepherd tone. Um which is, is that the, the one that makes you shit yourself? No, it's the one that brings your sheep in. Shepherd, sheep. No, I got it, mate. Thanks. <laughs> I got it, mate. I was just making sure that I didn't have any sharp implements near me, just in case. You know? Uh, okay, so it's the auditory illusion of a tone that continually ascends or descends, but in reality doesn't. 
and it's used um, on the back pod in the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises. So for that, I don't want the bike to sound like it's con- like it's like it's reaching its top gear. So it just constantly builds and builds and builds and builds. It sounds like uh-huh. faster. Um, it works by having ascending notes spaced an octave apart, and you keep fi- fading out the higher notes, replacing them with lower notes. So it always feels like it's building. Oh wow! And what's interesting, so Hans Zimmer isn't the first person to use a Shepard tone, and this no. isn't the first Nolan film he's used that music in. Apparently, there's some in. Um, the Prestige, which that would make we've also talked about in an episode. Um, Have we? Yes, everyone talk about. No, not talk about. We talked about. You done listened to it probably. Podcast. <laughs> I think that should be our theme song. We talked about it. You listened about it. Podcast. <laughs> so um, he has used it, um, the Shepherd term before. But what sets? Why I find this so interesting is and I was reading an article on Medium by Ed Newton Rex about this soundtrack that he's actually Zimmer's actually using three shepherd tones for the three time scales. The bottom part is playing slowly, which is the week for the boat. The middle part is twice as fast as that for the uh, sorry, the week for the beach. The middle part is twice as fast as that for the boat. And the top part is twice as fast again to be the Spitfire battle. And as the film sort of reaches its end, the three parts are playing together. And they're all building to the same point. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I found it quite interesting. I can see why him and Nolan get on. Yeah, I think this was the last one they've done together because he did. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether it was No Time Star or June instead of Tenet. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think he's due to do the Oppenheimer one. But if it, if that was the last thing they work on, it's a hell of a thing to go out on. Yeah. This sort of co-score where they both work together using the music and the picture to tell the same story. Yeah, I mean, it, he does sound a bit like a sort of music scientist, doesn't he? Yes, yeah. Well, his, um, apparently his mum was a pianist and his father was an engineer. So Oh, shit, yeah. So he, 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 I read somewhere he, um, he was always taking part of the piano and adding sort of saws and things onto it to make it sound different. Wow. Sort of combining those two. But um, so th- th- throughout Dunkirk, you oh, occasionally get snatches of um, Edward Elgar's uh, Nimrod. They, they used it in the, in the 2012 Olympic ceremony. It's that kind of ocean faring one, which is used quite a lot in sort of patriotic British things. But throughout Dunkirk, you get snatches of it and then you get it slightly at the end, almost almost complete. But again, that's a, a hands in the rework of it, variation. Mm. Yeah, I think I'd know it if I actually looked it up. Yeah, I, I, I could uh, do it, but I can't quite. Please. No. <laughs> no, Dude, you made me fucking do the William Tell thing. I think because the William Tell is quite sort of a happy... Um, Elgar is, is quite a sort of sombre one. You, you don't want that. No one needs that. Yeah, uh, dude. No. Wow. I... See, that's what he thinks of you, audience. He he won't go the extra mile no. and kind of I would do anything to entertain you guys. Rob, he's always half asking it. Yeah. And he's sort of weirdly proud of it as well. So if you'd like to be my new co host, <laughs> please email Rob at the popcornbucket.com because well, be nice I want him to I'd, see I'd be able to listen them. to it. it might be, I've heard it's all right. <sighs> You're the Nimrod here, mate. 
What's that? That's one. That's from The Rock. Oh, okay. That's the that's the sad military one. To be honest, that would have been exactly my impersonation of Nimrod. <laughs> I think that's probably it for the for talking about the soundtrack. I will say that you've clearly done a lot more research into into your choice than I did mine. I did look, but there because really I'm willing is to go the extra mile for the listener like you can't be asking this. Oh, you see, he used that reverse card on me. No, that's not true. There, there really isn't that much about because The Rock, from what I understand, is a very generic action movie soundtrack. Whereas Don Cook, you know, he was at that stage of his career, and especially with Christopher Nolan, the fact that they do that sort of scientific experimental type stuff, you know, yeah. they do more interesting stuff. Um, I think The Rock may have just been a paycheck for him, you know, but I like it very much. And I, I think if it wasn't in The Rock and maybe that sort of that military theme, you'd probably have to dial it down a little bit because it is a little bit kind of mega cheesy. But um, but I, I reckon if you did like a, more, a, a slightly more somber version, people would go, oh, wow, that's a really moving piece. But just because it's attached to The Rock, like it, you know, it won't get the plaudits. So it loses credibility. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Exactly, it's the it's the whole snobbery thing. It's the whole oh, it's in the Criterion Collection. Oh, what would the neighbors think? You know, it's just it gives a fuck. I think you've won this one. Absolutely, you've won this one. Thank you. That's very yeah. uh, gracious of you. Well, I just you answered the Hans Zimmer thing better than I did. I won hands down. Was it all building to that? <laughs> no. I'm actually surprised how many of those you haven't done and also how many times I haven't gone warm. Because if it was all building to that, <laughs> this is the end of the podcast. I know I threat that every time, <laughs> but this truly could be. That's a deal breaker for me. If it, if we did this <laughs> for that one... <laughs> Generally, that just popped into my head then. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> But the film itself is is very good, Dunkirk. Um, it was nominated for an Oscar, it didn't win. It lost to The Shape of Water. And the soundtrack lost to The Shape of Water as well. A, sort of, a slightly joking apart by calling it his sort of confusing, timey-wimey, twisty thing. Um, but the structure is very interesting, how you've got these overlapping stories. Yeah, it is. It is. It, it's it's a little. I remember. I remember seeing in the cinema and being a little bit sort of like, what? What is going on here? But then it does. It does bring it all together. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah. you know, Nolan's good at that. I mean, shit. He's been doing that since Day Dot, really, hasn't he? With Memento. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It is a. It is a damn good movie. And there's lots of different sort of tensions throughout. You got Tom Hardy. Uh, in a Spitfire that where he can't see the fuel gauge, so he's trying to work out how much fuel he's got left while still engaging in, in dogfights. Um, you've got all the inventory sort of trying to find a way off the beach or, and sort of hide from. You know, it's, it's only at the end you see the German soldiers. They're sort of talked about and sort of people get shot at, but you never see them until the very end. And even mm. then they're kind of blurred out and sort of in shadow. But I think well, the, so. The point of the shepherd tone is to sort of makes it seem like it's constantly 
like rising to sort of build this tension. And this film is this snowball effect of sort of everything just piling on and on and on until the very end. It's interesting that, so at, at the end, one of the characters is reading Churchill's speech from a newspaper, so you don't actually hear Churchill's saying. Yes, I thought that was a very interesting decision. And I guess it was kind of outside the film's control that this came out in a 12-month period where there was two other Dunkirk films as well. There was, uh, which I've read someone makes up quite an interesting trilogy. So you've got this film, Dunkirk, and Darkest Hour, with Gary Oldman as Churchill, sort of yep. building to the Dunkirk's we all this about Churchill's early days. But there's a film afterwards, which, which I have seen, which I really enjoyed, called Their Finest, which is about, uh, I think, well, I think it's, it's either, either Hayley Atwell or Gemma Arterton, um, are making a film about the Dunkirk evacuation. Mm. Um, and, and if you've not seen that, that's really worth seeing. Which, no, so you've, I you've got, haven't. You've got this nice trilogy of this of Churchill's sort of response to the evacuation, and then the actual evacuation, and then people trying to make sense of it and and, and film it. It's Gemma Arston. Gemma Arston, okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's, it's definitely. Um, it's, I really I really enjoyed that one. Cool. Yeah. See, I knew about the two. Didn't know about the third one. Good shit. So, Rob, you've won another one shot, you absolute bastard. Thank you. I'll do How are you going to celebrate? I don't know. I'm just reveling the victory. Cool. I'm not going to say that I try my best because losers whine about their best. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. <laughs> Which is a line from The Rock. It is. You're best. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's so good, man. <laughs> Everyone wants the rock. So, yeah. So, what a ramshackle episode this has been, dude. I think we've had ramshacklier ones. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But, no, I'm I'm happy with you winning. That's, yeah. That's, Dunkirk is a, is a worthy winner. God damn it. See, I only watched The Rock recently again. And I want to watch it again. Like this is the thing; yeah. I never get tired of it. Well, I mean, that, that that's always the thing with uh, sort of like with you know, Dunkirk's a good film, but it's not the sort of film you can just throw on and watch no. again and again. And that might be true for a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan films, actually. Yeah, outside of Batman and Inception, but yeah, I I don't know. But The Rock, infinitely rewatchable. I know because I'm I've done it. And you definitely need to watch it again, Rob. You yeah, need yeah, yeah, yeah. you you need to bring your your twenty twenty one Rob critic brain to the rock because uh, I I think you'll be not surprised because you know I always end up being right on these situations, but uh, you know you'll be delighted, I believe. Right, time to fuck the problem queen. <sighs> you won, so you get to fuck the problem queen. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at thepopcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd or on goodpods at popcornbucket. If you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Thank you so much to Lawrence Owen of Long Camp Media for the theme music and thank you to Rose for the suggestion. Yes. Many- <laughs> Oh, Christ. It's because you did the little sibilance of yes then, so she always <laughs> sneeze. <laughs> Pod Dog says hi. Many thanks. Take care. And see you next episode. What he said. Wow.
Boom.